So welcome. So this is our celebration of Resurrection Sunday. Whether you've been part of our church family for weeks or months or years, or this is your first time, it is great to have you here as we gather to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. He is risen. Amen. Amen. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we exist as a church family. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, it says this, And if Jesus Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So without the resurrection of Jesus, there would be no church. There would be no church families in Kirtland or in Sri Lanka or in Xinjiang, China, or anywhere around the world. But because Jesus is alive, church families all over the world have gathered to celebrate his resurrection. And so we exist as a church family because Jesus is alive. And we say that we are a caring, Christ-centered family where no one stands alone as we serve together to help others connect with Jesus. He is risen. So I have a question. Have you ever felt helpless? A few of you and me, the rest of you are liars. Did I just say that? <laughs> so all of us at different points in time in our lives will find ourselves in situations where we may feel helpless. There are major life events that can bring on this sense of helplessness. The bills are piling up and there's no money in the checking account. Our boyfriend or girlfriend or fiancé ends the relationship. We make a mistake or we sin and the trajectory of our life changes and goes in a direction we didn't really want to go. Or someone else makes a mistake or sins or treats us badly and our life heads in a direction that we didn't really want to go. We're diagnosed with a life-changing illness. We're attending a church service in Sri Lanka and a bomb goes off. Or we lose someone we love because of death. Those are the major life events and we can feel helpless. But then, on top of the major life events, there are all the minor events that can pile up. Our stuff breaks. Anybody have any stuff break this week? Somebody goes, this morning, in the first service. I didn't ask them what it was. How about our to-do list? Have you ever had your to-do list longer than the day is long? And managing our work schedule, our school schedule, our family schedule, our sports schedule, our kids' sports schedules, it can feel like juggling chainsaws. Don't try that at home. Kids, don't try that at home. Dads, don't try that at home. Some of you are thinking, hey, I got three chainsaws, maybe. All right, so we go through major life events, and on top of the major events are these minor events, and they build up, and we can feel like the gerbil on the gerbil wheel. <clears throat> and what does the gerbil do to get off the gerbil wheel? He just goes faster and faster and faster. But he never gets off. King Solomon, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, book from the Old Testament, 
He had everything the world had to offer. He had fame. He had fortune. He had power. He had 400 wives. That wasn't a good idea. One is perfect. That's what the Lord says. You thought I was going to say something else. You thought I was going to say one's enough. Well, one is enough, but she's amazing. One is all you get to have. Okay, anyway, before I dig the hole too deep. All right, so this is what, this is what King Solomon said. He said, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Ju Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing of the wind. King Solomon came to the conclusion that life can become like chasing the wind. I chased the wind once. Tara was four, and we were flying a kite, and, and she was standing there, and I was, you know, enjoying the kite, getting higher and higher, and then all of a sudden, whoop, the string was floating away. And I didn't want to lose the kite and ruin her life. And so I, <coughs> I began to chase the kite string. And, and it was just off the, just like right there. And I kept running after it and it kept going. And then eventually it floated away. And I lost the race against the wind. Whenever we chase the wind, we always lose that race. No one can outrun the wind. So when we're chasing the wind, when we are on the gerbil wheel going nowhere faster and faster, when we're starting to feel helpless, at some point we should begin to search for help. And there are many places people search for help, where they search for help. Some people turn to religion to find God so God will help them escape their helplessness. Others turn to self-help solutions so they can run faster as they chase the wind and spin on the gerbil wheel. Some take the hedonistic approach. Life stinks, and then you die. And so I'm going to have as much fun as I possibly can while it lasts. Some turn to drugs or alcohol to try and take away the pain. Some go on a search for the perfect companion to meet their needs. If you find the perfect companion, leave because you'll ruin them. Okay, you guys got that. <laughs> Some pursue fame and fortune and power so they can create this bubble where they will never feel helpless. And some try to control every situation. If I could only control every situation in my life, thing would, things would turn out the way I want. Things would remain under control. And then there's the message of grace. 
the message of God coming to us to give us hope in our helplessness. The chorus of the song, Were It Not For Grace, says this. It's a little poetic. Were it not for grace, I can tell you where I'd be. Wandering down, <coughs> excuse me, wandering down some pointless road to nowhere with my salvation up to me. And I know how that would go, the battles I would face, forever running but losing the race, were it not for grace. And this is a simple message, the message of grace. And it's not from man, but it's from God. So grace is God offering us a gift of life, a gift of eternal life, a gift we don't deserve, and a gift we can't earn. And the message begins with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, creating us in His image and having a desire to have a relationship with us. But our sin separates us from God. And we've talked about this as we studied the book of Romans in the beginning part of the year. Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans chapter 6, the wages, the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Thankfully, even though we're separated, God loves us so much that he made a way for us to be reconnected. And that way is Jesus Jesus said these words in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And after Jesus said those words, he went to the cross. He went to the cross to live out what he had said. He paid for our sins on the cross. His body was placed in an empty tomb, and then three days later he rose from the dead. Jesus has risen. He is alive. Jesus is alive. And so the gift of grace is eternal life with God, and the way of grace is through Jesus Christ. Now, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we receive this new life He has for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. Now, the message of grace would be just another one of those messages people are searching for to be freed from their helplessness, except for one simple fact, that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. So the message of grace brings hope to us when we are helpless. Our life in Jesus means that we don't have to chase after the wind. We don't have to run on the gerbil wheel. Our life in Jesus means that we can follow the path that God has for us. Our life in Jesus means that the Holy Spirit resides in our heart and guides our life. And our life in Jesus means that we are never, ever alone. Jesus' promise is this, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He said this in John chapter 15, he said, I'm the vine. You are the branches. All the gardeners are like, yeah, man, vines and branches. They're starting to pop up everywhere. I can't wait. Well, Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The message of grace. 
not just another message of hope when we're helpless, but a message that's true because Jesus is alive. Have you ever had a defining moment, you know, that moment in life that changed the trajectory of your life? Maybe you're about to get married on May 4th. A defining moment. I want to briefly mention three people that had defining moments on the morning that Jesus rose from the dead. The first one, when Alex read from John 20, we see that John had a defining moment. Peter and John were racing to the tomb because uh, Mary Magdalene had told them that Jesus' tomb was empty. And listen to what happened. I'll reread verses 8 and 9. Then the other disciples, so that's John, that's how he refers to himself in the Gospel of John. Then the other disciples <laughs> reached the tomb first. I like how John points that out, that he got there first. <laughs> also went in. He kind of sneaks around, though, that Peter went in first, even though that John got there first. Anyway, uh, also went in, and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. For as yet, up to this point, they, the disciples, did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, that Jesus must rise from the dead. So this was the defining moment for John in his life. It changed the trajectory of his life for all eternity. He saw the empty tomb, and he believed that Jesus was alive. The resurrection of Jesus is what transformed John's life. Mary Magdalene also experienced her most defining moment that morning. On that morning, as Mary walked to Jesus' tomb to care for the body of Jesus, I'm sure she had to have a sense of helplessness. What are we going to do? Jesus is dead. What are we going to do now? And then she saw the empty tomb, and she wept. And then she met Jesus who was dead, but now was alive. In verse 15 and 16, it says this, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. That's just a funny detail, isn't it? I guess not. And (laughs) and, uh, she said to him, Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. He called her by name. He called her by name. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized who Jesus was when he called her by name. Mary had met the resurrected living Jesus, and her life was transformed. The trajectory of her life was changed forever. This was the defining moment in Mary's life. She began to tell everyone, Jesus is Lord. Now the soldiers who were at the tomb, standing guard, also had a defining moment that day. In Matthew 28, it says this, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
The angel came down and there was an earthquake. I don't know, any of you guys like the movie Thor? Like, I just have that in my mind, like Thor coming down, boom, you know? That was like the angel. All right, never mind. Um, I just stuck, sticks with me. The angel is probably way more incredible than the guy who plays Thor, whatever his name is. Um, so his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So these Roman guards became like dead men because of the angel. But they weren't dead, and so they witnessed the opening of the empty tomb, and they saw all that happened. And then it says in verse 11, in Matthew 28, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when the chief priests had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient money of a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, <clears throat> here's your story. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him, pay him off, and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread to this day. <clears throat> now, I was a soldier. And you don't fall asleep on guard duty. Right, Michael? Bad idea. And if you do fall asleep on guard duty, you don't tell anyone. And you certainly don't tell someone you fell asleep on guard duty when you didn't fall asleep on guard duty. What a better story to tell. You're a Roman guard. This angel came out of the sky and landed and there was an earthquake and he roll, rolled a stone away and there's nothing we could do about it. That's a much better story, isn't it? And it's the true story. And yet those soldiers made a decision. They traded the truth for a lie for some sum of money. They saw the resurrection and yet they chose to spend their lives telling a lie. And it was a lie that made them look like terrible soldiers. Yeah, we fell asleep. A bunch of scraggly fishermen came up and rolled back a one-ton stone and took the body that we were supposed to guard. What a lame story. They chose to deny what they saw for a lie and a life denying that Jesus was alive. So how does the fact that Jesus is alive affecting you? Let me show you a video of 42 people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. Let's watch. He is risen. So Jesus is alive, right? The the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're historical documents. First-person testimony. They record that Jesus is alive. And the truth of Scripture alone is all we need to confirm that Jesus is alive. There's some other additional information that I just want to share. Think about it. The disciples, the 12 disciples... 
They all died for their faith except for John, and he was exiled. Unlike the Roman guards, they lived out their faith, and because they lived out their faith, they paid the price with their lives. There's no writings in the first century refuting the resurrection of Jesus. The tomb was empty, and no one could produce a body. But here's the most important reason why I know Jesus is alive beyond the scriptures. He changed my life. Radically transformed who I am. If you want to know what I was like before Jesus, ask Betsy. But there's some stories she can't tell. (laughs) He changed my life. Has he changed yours? What do we do with this fact that Jesus is alive? Some simply deny the truth and live their lives as if Jesus were dead. Others dismiss the fact that Jesus is alive. They may intellectually acknowledge Jesus is alive, that he rose from the dead, but the head knowledge never penetrates to their souls. While they accept the fact that Jesus is alive, they never allow God to transform their own lives. Others embrace the fact that Jesus is alive. They come to a point in their lives where they look at this astounding fact that Jesus is alive, and they say, Jesus is alive, what does this mean for my life? And they begin to have a desire to know Jesus and to follow Jesus and to be loved by Jesus, to please Jesus, to be like Jesus, to spend eternity with Jesus. They begin a journey called the great adventure with Jesus. So Jesus is alive, and because he's alive, the message of grace is true. And it's available to everyone to embrace it. And so, let the resurrection of Jesus be your defining moment. Let the resurrection of Jesus be your defining moment. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now. And for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www dot kurtlandchristian dot o r g